we will remain standing for the reading of God's word on which the sermon takes place. John chapter 1, verse 6 to 38. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Friends, welcome. And I would like to especially welcome those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. And if you do visit us for the first time, you will get a free copy after the service. But let's now focus our minds and hearts to God's Word. Last Sunday we started this new series on the Gospel of John, Come and See Jesus. And we looked at what we saw last Sunday. And all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then He came to the world, He came to His own, that's what verse 11 that we just read said. He came to what belongs to him by a wide creation. He came to his possession. And yet, we rejected him. So what, what we're going to do today is to look at verse 6 to 38 under two headings. The first one is the rejection of the true light. The rejection of the true light. The second point is the receiving of the true light. So the rejection and the receiving of the true light. There are four things that I can see from those uh, verses 6 to 11. That God said what our rejection is about. It is an utterly inappropriate response. In fact, it is an evil response to the coming of the true light to the world. So let's uh, look at those uh, three or four things to me. The first one is that it is not only inappropriate response because we have so many witnesses about the true light, about Jesus. You know, in verse 6 we read there was a man sent from God whose name was John the light. So we reject the true light even if we have heard the witness pointing to Christ himself. John the Baptist or in this gospel he's not known as John the Baptist but he's known as John the Witness. He's known in the synoptic gospels as John the Baptist but in this gospel the word Baptist is not used but he is more known as the Witness because of repeated reference to his witness to Christ. So the writer of this gospel, the apostle 
John, the witness, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And friends, we know that God has revealed that light in the past, repeatedly through His laws, His wisdom, His prophecies, His gifts of judgment and mercy, and in theophany, in the special appearances of the three incarnate Christ. But now the word, the true light, came in personal self-disclosure, and yet his own did not receive him. Listen to what God said in the Old Testament through his prophets. Isaiah 65, 23, for example. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their imaginations of people who continually provoke me to my very place. Jeremiah 7, 25, 26 From the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, that is, until the Babylonian exile, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. So God kept repeating that message about the coming of the true light. But we did not care. Our forefathers did not care. Nor do we today. So if you are here in the service today, if you are within the sound of my voice, or you watch this recording on YouTube or Spotify, you also hear that I too bear witness about Christ Jesus. And some of you may still reject what I've got to say. And the responsibility is on us because this is something that God has kept telling us and yet we have rejected Him. The second thing why this is an utterly inappropriate response for us to reject Him is that we have some idea about our need of Jesus. And I got this from verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone coming into the world. I want you to pay attention to this phrase, gives light. Because this is a subject of huge controversy in the theological um, world. The, world uh, the phrase gives light, which is also used in other New Testament uh, letters, such as 1 Corinthians 4, 5, or 2 Timothy 1, 10. It actually means shedding light so as to reveal the true quality of something. Gives light means to make visible, to reveal the actual genuine quality of something. So the meaning is not Jesus giving inner illumination within our hearts that will lead us to salvation. The doctrine called the preview Prevenient, not convenient, but prevenient grace, which is completely antithetical to the whole teaching in the New Testament. It's not like we have an inner illumination from God, and because of that, we can know Christ. That's not the case at all. If anything, we 
is this external illumination rather than internal illumination. What it means is that Jesus in his incarnation, he brought God's light into the dark world. And the world is aware of this light to the fact that God displayed his saving purposes publicly. But because of our sinfulness, because of the world's sinfulness, we prefer darkness. So what it means to give light is that the light exposes and reveals the moral and spiritual state of our hearts. When the light shines on everyone, it brings the works of darkness to light. Christ reveals to us our sins and His coming judgment. And that's why that was given Generally, to everyone, we have some sense of our need of Christ because we are made aware of our sins. We are made aware that there will be a judgment coming because of what we've done. And Jesus actually made this clear in John 3.19, which God willing we are going uh, to, to see in the next few weeks. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment, the light is coming to the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We were in love with the dark and rejected Christ. But note uh, what this first line says. Jesus is the light who enlightens every human being. Everyone without distinction. What this means is that when we refuse the light, when we reject Christ and choose to remain in darkness, it's not because there is no enlightenment for us, but because we deliberately prefer the darkness. Jesus comes and shines on every person in the world and divides the human race into two different categories. Only two categories, those who hate the light, and those who receive the law. So that's how the human race is divided when it comes to whether or not they're going to reject or receive Christ. The third reason why rejecting Christ is an utterly inappropriate response is because we belong to Jesus. First thing says, He was the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. So Jesus came to the same world that He created, to the creature made in His image, and yet the world did not know Him. Somebody wrote, summarized this verse, and said that in one sentence, through repetition, device, in Greek's Apostle John was teaching incarnation, creation, and rejection all in one verse. Isn't that amazing? How economical they wrote in the old days. The doctrine of incarnation, the doctrine of creation, and rejection of man was summarized in that one verse. It was the world, the world was made for man, and yet the world did not. Know him. So, so when, when, when John said he came to his own, 
What it really meant is that he came home. He came to his people. And yet, we did not receive him. This is one of the saddest, I think, verses in the whole of the New Testament. I read a few papers about parental rejection. When parents are rejected by their children because of so many reasons. And the parents be so devastated because of what their kids said to them, I don't see you anymore, just go away, don't call me, don't come to my house. No communication. And you know the parents would feel, after all these years, after everything that I've done for you, you don't want to call me your mom, your dad, explanation. And that must have been what God felt. And that's, that's why uh, in the text history, St. Augustine, when he read this verse for the very first time, verse 11, that made such a huge impact on him because he finally realized that it's the human race that rejected their God and Savior. So he wrote in his book, The Confession, that now I understand what is happening with me. Jesus did not come as an alien, he came home because we belong to him. He came to Melbourne, he came to Australia, so to speak, but we rejected him. So if you look at the phrase, the world and his own people, Pastor John talked about two different people. The world is the Gentiles, people who are not in the Jewish religion, people who are so indifferent to God, people who have no religion, and his own people meant that uh, these are the religious community, people who believe the Bible, people who believe the Ten Commandments, people who are very morally, who prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the religious community. But what is John saying here is that these two groups of people, the world, the Gentiles, and uh, his own people, they both reject Jesus. There's no difference. People with the true religion, people with no religion, they all rejected Jesus. And this is something that Apostle Paul uh, in Romans 3, 23 uh, said, There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, think about it, friends. Today, the religious people, people who don't care about God, they will reject God by replacing any reference to Christ in great Christmas. So instead of saying, Merry Christmas, they will say season's greetings or happy holidays or singing hymns and tunes which completely eliminates Christ. You know, with jingle bells and all those hymns or non-hymns, if you like. They reject him by banning praise in high schools. But what about religious people? People who come and 
who attend church services like today, they reject Christ. They reject Christ when we set our priorities and we make key decisions in our lives as if God doesn't exist because He is completely out of the picture. So we are saying, God, I would like you to be in my life, but not too close. Then you will cause some nuisance in my plans. I just want you to be nearby if I need you, I call upon you, but don't meddle with my life under my own plans. See, in many ways, we are injecting Christ with uh, what we said and what we do with the way we make decisions and uh, set our priorities. Think about what you've done uh, in your life, the last five key decisions that you've made in your life recently. Was Christ in them? Did you pray and ask God about those decisions that you wanted to make? See, we both complain to God about a lot of things in our lives that did not go as we expected. We complain about sufferings that we see here and there. We think that God is being indifferent to us. If only God would appear and, and accept some responsibility or give some help, perhaps I would like to uh, obey and follow Him more committedly. But we are told in this passage that He actually came in person. It's not like He was indifferent, He did not care, because He actually came in person and yet He was ignored, He was rejected. So to reject Christ, the true light, okay, to find you in the dark world, is a tragedy of cosmic proportion with eternal consequences. But what is amazing? in this text. It's not the tragedy of our rejection. What is amazing is the grace of God that enables us, spiritually dead people, to be responsive to the call of Christ and to receive Him, to believe in His name, and to be adopted in Him. That is my second point. From verse 12 to 13, the last two verses that we're going to look at today. The receiving of the true light, that is what is most amazing. It's the grace that enables us to come forward, to be quickened spiritually from the dead, and say, Lord, here I am. So, the Apostle John, he used uh, these uh, phrases to receive, to believe in Jesus' name, and to be adopted in God's family, they all mean the same. So this repetition highlights the importance of responding rightly to this call. I want to uh, look at verse uh, 12 and 13 in, in, in two uh, sort of uh, subheadings. The first one is we were before spiritually dead people and now we are spiritually alive people. Let's look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John is telling us that we reject Jesus despite the witness or witnesses who pointed us to him. 
despite some idea that we have about our need of Jesus, despite we actually belong to Him, we rejected Him despite all of that. We reject Him because we are first and foremost sinners in need of a Savior. We are not merely prone to sin or tempted to sin, we are dead in our sins. And that's why the most urgent and the most important need for human beings today is not education, it's not training, it's not coaching, it's not therapy. Because all these things, although they are good in, in and of themselves, you know, education is good, therapy is good, coaching is good, training is good, but none of them can solve our biggest problem. We are strictly dead people. Christian author D.L. Moody understood the limitation of education when he famously remarked, if you come across a boy who's stealing nuts and bolts from a railway track and you want to change him, send him to college, send him to universities, send him to University of Melbourne, or Monash University, or Peking University, or RMIT, and so on. And at the end of his education, he will steal the whole railway track. So if you see a petty thief who loves stealing candies in convenience stores, the way to stop him from doing that is to send him to college and get a university degree. So if he does finance and data analytics, for example, double degree, great university, I can guarantee you he will stop doing that petty thing. He will stop stealing candies from the convenience store. You know why? Because now he can move people's money with just a few masters because he has the he has the head knowledge now. He has the skills to be involved in a bigger crime because of university education. Right, that's all what education can help us with. We become more savvy in our sins. So if we are spiritually dead, we will remain dead after hours and months and years of education or therapy. What's the point of becoming smarter, more savvy, more formidable human beings if we remain dead spiritually? See, the problem is dead people do not know that they are dead. But when the light shines, even in the darkest and coldest of human hearts, for the first time we realize that we are spiritually dead and we need to be quickened. And Jesus through His Spirit actually made us alive, like the resurrected Lazarus. And made us pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, enabling us to respond to Christ by receiving Him. But you may ask, if you listen to this for the first time, what does the phrase receiving Christ actually mean? Because we use that a lot. We throw those uh, phrase many, many times. We've heard that phrase so many times. What does it mean to actually receive Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, friends, that it does not merely mean intellectual agreement with, with 
some facts about Jesus that he came to the world, that he died on the cross, that he was raised on the third day, but it's about loving It's about submitting to him in a personal relationship. That's what uh, receive, uh, receiving Jesus means. It means taking Jesus into your life for who he is. It's not a mutual symbiosis, you know, some sort of a peaceful coexistence where you say to Jesus, okay, you can come into my life, but stay there. You know, you invite him into your, your life, but you say, go sleep on the couch, you know, don't do this, and don't do that. These are your limits. If you obey your boundaries, Jesus, then you can coexist together. That's not what receiving Jesus means. Receiving Jesus means taking him into your life. Your home, your school, your work, your marriage, your dreams. For who he really is. See, the word believe is an important uh, word in the Gospel of John. It is used 98 times. It's remarkable that the Apostle John does not use the word faith at all. But he used the word believe 98 times. So we're going to see over and over again for the next few weeks what does believing Christ, receiving Christ actually means. And it's a great few weeks to pass whether we, those of us who are sitting in this room, actually are believers in Christ. And then someone would say, but do you actually mean that all I have to do to pass from spiritual death to spiritual life is just to believe? Isn't that too easy? Well, yet, yes, that is all you have to do. But you have to understand what the word believe actually means. Because in the Bible, the preposition used is believe into or believe upon. Jesus Christ. Let me, let me do a, a little demonstration this morning. Just to make sure that you're not falling asleep. I want you to stand um, uh, in front of your chairs now, please. Just, just stand in front of your chairs. Now, when you stand in front of your chair, you believe that that chair that you were sitting on before is holding you up, right? But you just believe in your head knowledge. You don't actually sit on it. You just believe that the chair will actually carry the weight of your body. That's not what belief means. And now please uh, be seated again. Now when you are actually sitting down, Baby, right? You have this belief that yes, this chair is strong enough, it will carry me, I will fall falling down. So that's what belief means. You put all the weight of your life into Christ and you experience that He's holding you. It's not just that knowledge, but you rest in Him. The question is. 
have you actually believed in me? The chair is now holding you up completely. And similarly, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, He will hold your life up completely. And then people will still come and say, but hang on, uh, what do I do now? What do I say? What would what, what, what change in my life? Well, somebody tried to explain uh, what it means to believe Christ, to receive Christ, to a lady. And this evangelist said that, uh, what's your last name? Is it Franklin? And then the lady said, yes. And then the pastor said, how long? Has it been dead? Well, ever since my husband and I were married 25 years ago, we celebrated our silver anniversary. So the pastor said, Tell me, how did you become Mrs. Franklin? Well, it was at the wedding. The minister asked me, Will you have this man to be your lawful wedded husband? And then I said, I will. With those words, I became his wife. Did not you say, I hope so? Oh, well, uh, I'll try. Will you take this man to be your lover by the husband? I'll let it go. Uh, we'll see how we go. No, I just said, I will. And that's all there was to it. So the pastor explained that God wanted her to receive Christ as her Savior in the same way. It's that simple. You just say, I will. And then you will accept Christ as your Savior, believing what the Bible says about Him, that He has come as the true life and died on our behalf and was raised again on the third day. If you believe Jesus, if you believe His gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, you will be saved. But receiving Christ does not move us from only from spiritually uh, uh, death, spiritual death to spiritual uh, life, but we also became the children of God. This is my last uh, point today. We were lost orphans and now we are legally adopted children of God. First study it said uh, or first twelve B rather that we, we became we are given the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So being born into the family of God is not a matter of natural procreation that involves the mixing of bloods or of the will of some powerful people, but it's the will of God. This means that heritage and race and pedigree and status are not relevant to spiritual birth. It doesn't matter what type of family, background or status that you come from. You become part of the family of God by God's will, not by your family status or background or what you have achieved in the past. We become children of God through spiritual adoption through Jesus. And the test 
Whether or not God is your Father is whether you love His Son, Jesus Christ. So friends, we not only made alive now in Christ, but we become adopted children of God legally. What it means is that we become heirs with Christ. So everything that God has in this entire universe become ours in Christ. Can you imagine that not only we are invited to His house as part of His family, having a seat around the, the dinner table, but now God said, everything that is mine is yours. That's the promise. So let me close with this uh, story of, um, told by Russell Moore, one of the uh, well-known authors and, and pastors uh, of our days. He adopted uh, two children from Russia. So he and his wife, Maria, told uh, the story of how they uh, adopted uh, two boys. They found themselves in an orphanage somewhere in former Soviet Union. On the first of the two trips required for the petition to adopt two one-year-old sons. The orphanage staff led them down a hallway to greet the two babies who become their sons. But they felt the horror of the orphanage, not so much the stench, though they had to restrain the urge to vomit and to weep. But the horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. And Russell wrote in his article, I stopped and pulled on Maria's elbow. Why is it so quiet? The place is filled with babies. They're supposed to cry. But none of them did. What of us compared the stillness of that whole hallway with the bus of the church nursery back home in the U.S. Then the staff told them when they asked why these babies did not cry. And the staff said, yet these kids did not cry because these infants knew that eventually no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, for love. So they have learned to be ignored for so many days and weeks and months that they now see that I don't have to cry anymore. No one ever responded to these things. So they stopped. So the silence continued as uh, they entered the boys' room and little Sergey and little Maxim, who's now called Timothy and Benjamin, smiled at us. Dancing up and down by holding the side of their brick, but neither of these boys made a sound. Then Russell wrote again, We read the books filled with words they couldn't understand. The cows jumping over the moon. You can see it, you know that this, this, this looks right. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the appointed time the same way we had entered if they stayed for a few days in that first trip. They always left in silence. And then something happened on the last day of the first trip. They had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law, they had to return to the U.S. and wait for the legal paperwork. 
to be obeyed before they have to return to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing little Serbian and little Maxine, they walk out into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when they heard the scream. Russell wrote, it was little Maxine. It seemed he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some final level, he knew he had a father and mother now. I will never forget how the hairs of my arms stood up as I heard the yell, the scream. It was at that moment he recognized he would be heard, and he went from being an orphan to being son. It was also in that moment I became a father, in fact, if not in law. And after that time, I had read the Abba cry passages in Romans and Galatians the same way I had heard them preach. It's about relational intimacy, and that's not wrong. But that cry, Abba Father, is not sentimental. When Jesus cried, Abba Father, as he screams with love, cries, and hears for deliverance in the Garden of Gethsemane, it meant something much, much deeper. And that moment, Russell wrote, the doctrine of adoption shows us that Jesus' spirit lets our hearts cry, Abba, Father, that we groan with creation itself as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. is the scream of the crucified Christ on the cross. And friends, that's how we get adopted. From being lost orphans to become sons and daughters of God. The light is still shining today. Have you personally received that light and become a child of God? First 12 said, but to all who did receive him, to all who believe in his name. See the initial audience of this Gospel of John, living in a world where there were specific criteria by which certain groups can receive salvation, quote-unquote. If you're intelligent enough, you would have salvation through philosophy. If you're religious enough, you would have salvation by the Jewish religion. And it's not different from our world today, where everything is evaluated based on our rank and our status, but today the gospel tells us to all who believe, to all who receive, this is irrespective of your race and status and IQ and gender and religious background, Jesus said, all who believe me may come. So friends, I invite you to respond to receiving to believe in his name. And if you know other people who have not done it, you should tell us good news that the true life has come to this world. And he wants us to respond to him by believing in him. Let us pray.